Welcome in to the New Orleans Saints podcast, hosted by Aaron Summers and John DeShazer. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers who cover the team on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your hosts, Aaron Summers and John DeShazer. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. I'm Aaron Summers. Huge game this weekend. Saints, Falcons in the Superdome, week 18. It all comes down to this. Whoever wins with a Tampa Bay loss to Carolina will take the NFC South title. Saints definitely want to make sure they're the one that ends up on top because not only is the division still at play, the Saints also have a shot at a wild card. Those games being played in the later block during the afternoon. So got to see what happens with the Saints-Falcons game first and, of course, the Tampa Bay-Carolina game. With the stakes, the rivalry, who better to bring in to preview this game than former Falcons quarterback, current CBS NFL broadcaster Matt Ryan, and voice of the Falcons, Wes Durham. Both join John DeShazer and myself to share their perspective of the rivalry and what they think the game will come down to. Let's kick it off with Matt Ryan. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the New Orleans Saints podcast. It's different having you on this side of things yeah. with so many years playing for the Falcons. Now you're you're watching the rivalry from a different perspective. How has that been? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's strange. So it's the second game that I'll have called uh, for the Saints, and the first time. I was down here was early November uh, against Chicago and we came in to do the meetings with the players and watch practice. And one of the equipment guys showed me that uh, they had kept my Jersey on a tackling dummy, <laughs> yeah. dummy that they take out to charity events and stuff yeah. like that, that kids get to tackle and, and beat up and the Jersey was well-worn. So uh, it was kind of funny, but it's amazing, right? You, you, your whole career, you play in this rivalry and, uh, then you come to the facilities. First time I had ever been to the practice facility and I felt like a little bit, you know, behind enemy lines, but the people are great, you know, and you get to kind of meet the people in the building and spend time with them and couldn't be nicer. And, um, it's a cool, it's a unique rivalry in the NFL, like going and doing this as a commentator this year, you see kind of different organizations and different rivalries and things like that. Uh, and it's really, I mean, it's as good as there is uh, in, in our league. And uh, it was fun to be a part of it as a player for a long time. You know, great sport about the whole thing, as a matter of fact, because Matt Ryan, the quarterback, former quarterback, took a picture with Matt Ryan, the Pelicans <laughs> basketball right. player, and Matt Ryan, the uh, Pelicans uh, media relations di director. Uh, so, But what has it been like to transition from one to the other? Because, the, you know, at a certain point, I would imagine as a player, you start kind of ramping up emotionally for the game during the week, and now you don't necessarily have to do that and yet you kind of do because you've got the game to call on Sundays yeah it's it's the build-up's kind of similar right you do all of this work during the week and then the ball kicks off you know 12 o'clock central time and you have no idea what's going to happen for three hours and I always like that part of a of it as a player right like mm -hmm. you didn't know which situations were going to come up you didn't know what you needed to be prepared for but you had to do all these different things so that when it did come up you were ready and it and it's similar you know, calling games in that you don't know which players are going to have big games. You don't know the storylines that are, are going to come up. You don't know the situations in a game that are going to come up, but you have to, you know, you kind of have to be ready to, to improvise. And, and I thought the same was, you know, true as a player, you prepare all week and then you mm -hmm. let it go and you just, you, you go play or you go call it. And uh, that part of it has been fun. It's different though. Like 
I don't get nervous, you know, sitting up in the booth, yeah. right? Like yeah. I'm not out yeah. there. I'm not getting yeah. hit, you know, like you I could just be wrong. wrong about what I said. And <laughs> yeah, like, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world. You know, it's a little different when, when, when you're out on the field and, uh, you know, there, there's all that action going on. You know, you participated in so many of these. What's unique that you found about this rivalry? Because, you know, we've heard, you know, collegial, uh, we've heard, you know, basically two, two teams and, and cities that, I guess, to be nice, don't like each other. <laughs> yeah. But what have you found to be unique about this rivalry? It, I mean, the passion, the passion from the fan bases, right, is, is mm -hmm. what you feel. I always felt it as a player, right? And you come in and immediately you know they can't stand the Falcons, right? And yeah. and it's the same feeling, you know, when they would come to Atlanta. Like, there was a lot of people that just can't stand the Saints. And so it feels... It feels more college-y, you know, mm -hmm. than, mm -hmm. than other rivalries that, you know, in the NFC South. Like, if I'm being honest, we didn't really have a rivalry with the Bucks or yeah. the Panthers, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, it yeah. was, you played them and, you know, they were in division, but it wasn't, it totally didn't feel yeah. the same. So it feels college-y because I think both cities are so passionate. Um, you know, I, I always thought it was crazy. Like, during my career, fantasy football kind of exploded. And so it probably was like my third or fourth year. I can't remember what year it was, but we were in New Orleans. We won. And I remember leaving and it was different because somebody was yelling at me. They were like, ah, you know, getting on me or whatever. But thank you for like the 34 fantasy points. And I was <laughs> like, it was, uh, it was a strange uh, – I remember going to the bus specifically and hearing it and being like, man – I did not expect that being down here. Yeah. What has the feedback been like from Saints fans now that you're in the booth? I mean, I haven't heard much, uh, you know, only doing the one game. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, hopefully it's okay. I feel like I'm fair. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, that's, that's what you come into it uh, and, and you try and be fair about what you think you're seeing and uh, what you think they should be doing or shouldn't be doing, those kind of things. But I have so much, like to me, you know, you throw the rivalry out when, when you're doing this job because I have so much respect for the players and coaches and all that they put into it, right? And and I know, you know, regardless of what building you're in, I know how invested players are, how invested coaches are, how much time they put into it, how difficult it is to go out there and perform. I try and never, you know, lose sight of that calling a game. It's, yeah. it, it's really, you know, I try and think – from the player's perspective, this is what you're seeing right now, or this is what you're thinking right now, or this is what you're going through emotionally right now. I try and tap into that. It's funny because I went to UNC and then I started covering the ACC. Yeah. So I, I developed a respect for Duke yeah. after hating them. Yeah. And people like my friends and stuff were like, how could you ever like Duke? How could you ever say anything nice about them? I know. It like, was crazy for me. So I came back, I came back from doing the game here and I think I was playing golf or something during the week. Uh, which is different, right? Like as a player, you never played golf during, during uh, you know, the fall. But I was playing golf uh, back in Atlanta, where I still live. And um, and they were like, dude, what was it like? Did you like hate them down there? Or what, what were the people in the building? I was like, to be honest with you, they were really nice. Like I, I enjoyed everybody that I spent time with. You know, like they couldn't have been nicer. It was, it was, it was really cool. So uh, I'm with you on that. Like it's a yeah. weird thing when you kind of go – you know, you go behind the scenes a little bit and you see the day-to-day -day in a different building and you're like, oh, man, actually, I really like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, as a quarterback who's a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, played a lot of great football, and, and Saints fans, he is going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 
is it difficult to critique quarterback play? Because you said, you know, obviously you want to be fair, but yeah. this is a hot take business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm probably a bit of a quarterback apologist. If I'm critiquing my, you know, first year of doing this, I just, you know, I, to be honest, it, it's, it's hard, right? It, it's hard to go out there and perform at that position and you're dependent on so many different things, whether it's coaching, whether it's offensive line, whether it's receivers, you know, running back, whatever. I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts. Uh, and the reason you're successful, like the, the age-old adage that quarterbacks get too much blame and too much credit. And mm -hmm. it's true. Both ends of it are true. Um, you know, but I try and view it from my perspective of how I would critique myself, you know, mm -hmm. if I'm out there, mm -hmm. would I say, you know, that's a throw you got to make. If, mm -hmm. if I feel like I look at it and I'm like, Matt, that was a throw you would have to make and, and you missed, that's what you have to say and, and you have to go with it. But I also try and shine a light on, you know, what guys are looking at and how difficult it is sometimes to see things. And, you know, of course this is coming open, you know, down the field, but let's take a look at what the pocket looked like. And he had to move to his left. It's hard to move to your left and throw back outside to your right. Like mm -hmm. there's just a lot of different things that, that go on when you're playing. And I try and, uh, you know, sh shed a light on that when I can, um, you know, but more often than not, I'll have the quarterbacks back. And as well, you should. <laughs> um, did you know this was a business you wanted to enter? No, you know, <laughs> I, like I, I say it all the time. I, I, I really only wanted to do one thing growing up and I was lucky to be able to do that for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the job or, or the career or the profession that, that I always wanted to do, I was able to do. And the problem with playing quarterback is there's a shelf life on it, right? Yeah. You, you can't do it forever. Uh, and so, you know, my time in Atlanta was so good, but my time in Indy was, it was a rough, it was a yeah. rough patch. And, and so I think, you know, finishing up that year, and I have young kids and kind of not wanting to move them around the country. We've, we've got like a really good mm -hmm. setup to me. It was like, okay, you know, at some point you got to make decisions that aren't mm -hmm. about yourself. And, and so for me, it was, that was a big part of the decision-making. And then, and then it was a, a nudge from my wife too, of like, listen, <laughs> you're 38, you know, there, there's a lot of life to, to live and you're not going to be sitting around the house all day. And so you got to find something to do. And, um, I, I, I kind of explored different opportunities in, in the broadcast spectrum and mm -hmm. was lucky enough to, to get this job offer from CBS. And I, I've been surprised at how much I've enjoyed doing it. You know, I've, I feel like I've gotten better and our crew has gotten better as the year has gone on. Um, you know, but I love, I love that I get to watch film. I love that I break down defenses. I love that I'm watching offenses and why they're working. Like, I love that part of it. The nerdy stuff, you know, of playing is, yeah. is the stuff that I really enjoyed. And, you know, I still get to do that. Uh, I don't think it'll ever replace playing and the feeling that you have when you're playing. But um, at the same time, you know, life moves on and, and you got to keep going. And you don't get hit. And you, yeah, correct. <laughs> Unless I'm in this place and Cam Jordan lays me out before the game. So, so uh, we've talked about, I guess, everything except this game, I guess, yeah. which has some stakes to it. You know, maybe minimal for both teams, but some stakes. Either team, both teams need to win. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing from both teams as they come into this game? Well, honestly, I, I feel like it's two teams kind of heading in different directions. You, you look at, you know, the Saints coming in and it's been choppy throughout the year, but mm -hmm. they've probably played their best football, at least offensively, you know, this last – 
four weeks and, mm-hmm. and they're three and one. And then Atlanta comes in kind of from the other perspective. Mm-hmm. They've had the rotating door yeah. at the quarterback position most of the year. Uh, and and I feel like for them, it's it's been a little more choppy, right? They have, you know, kind of this stretch where they have a good win versus the Colts and then come back and, and you know, go to Chicago. And it was snowing and all that stuff, but certainly didn't play their best football. And so I feel like you've got teams that are kind of, you know, in the same position, but have gotten there and, and arrive at this game in different ways. And so uh, I think the place is going to be rocking, though. I mean, you guys know it. There's all kinds of crazy things that can happen in this league. So a loss for the Bucks to Carolina, that could easily happen. Two losses in the 425 games for the Saints in the wild card picture. All of that stuff could happen. And so uh, as a player, you know, you work all year to hopefully, you know, have your own path uh to the playoffs but sometimes you don't get it but you just want an opportunity and for both of these teams they have that i expect it to be physical i expect it to you know be fun to watch and and uh we'll see how it shakes out you know, I, I gotta shut up after this one but i gotta say this my brother-in-law who's in georgia all my family's in georgia <laughs> making as a matter of fact yeah so when i tell my brother-in-law i i sat down for an interview with maddie ice he's gonna go crazy <laughs> he's gonna go crazy where did that nickname come from because it's one of the best nicknames Ever. Yeah, it's, it was a good nickname. Um, it started when I was in high school. And um, I was, you know, for whatever reason, young. I played football, basketball, and baseball. And I guess was decent, but I played, you know, like my freshman and sophomore year. And so these guys were like, oh, this young kid must have like ice in his veins or whatever. And there's a beer called Natty Ice. Of course. And it, and it's, yep. it, it just worked, right? So they called me Matty, all of that stuff. And then it just turned into Matty Ice. And then I got to college and nobody, you know, nobody called me. And I had one of my high school buddies come up to visit, like, at the end of my freshman year. He came up for the weekend or something. And all he called me was, like, Iceman. And so all of my college roommates were then like, dude, what is this? Why, you know, like, it's pretty cool or whatever. One guy said it in the media in Boston. And, you know, 20-plus years later, people are, are still with it. It is, I mean – if you're going to get stuck with nicknames, yeah. there are a lot worse that you can get stuck with. A whole lot with, worse than but, that. But uh, it's, it's a pretty good one. I feel like that could have been an endorsement opportunity. Like yeah. if NIL was the thing. You would have been crushing it at Boston yeah. College. <laughs> like, you know, beer that, money. Talk about getting free, like, yeah, free beer money. It would have been – It would have been. so just give me the beer. It would have been okay. I don't know if you want Natty Ice. I don't know. It's funny. We were in uh, – we were in Cincinnati calling a game this year, and we went out to dinner on a Friday night, and the people at this restaurant couldn't have been nicer. We kind of had our whole crew there, and we're finishing up, and they're like, we just have one last thing for you. And they brought out, like, this seafood tower dish with, like, it had to have been, like, a dozen Natty Ices on <laughs> on ice. And, like, we sat down. We had a couple. It's the first time I had a Natty Ice in probably, like, 20 years. And <laughs> I guess this isn't a good endorsement, but they weren't great. When you broke in college. You mentioned both of these teams coming in in different directions. The Saints offensively have been improving. What have you liked about quarterback Derek Carr, the chemistry? He seems like he's developing with some of our offensive weapons. Yeah, I think, you know, it takes time and and people want, you know, it's hard when you come from a different place and, and you come in, you want it to be firing on all cylinders right away. And it's difficult to do that, you know, right from the start. I think you throw on top of that, he was banged up most of the year, right? And and kind of dealing with injuries. And I think being healthy or as healthy as he's probably been all year uh, helps. I think, you know, and and we just talked to DA about this. Like, 
I think the pass protection has gotten better. They've been better up front, uh, which, you know, which helps. Right. And then time on task with, with different guys. Um, you look at Juwan and, and like where he's starting to develop the last three or four weeks, he's been really productive. I don't think it's any surprise. Derek's been at his best because you start getting production from that tight end position group and, uh, what he can do. And, um, you know, I, I just think the comfort level, the health, the better protection, all of those things leads to, you know, better quarterback play. And listen, I know from, from the outside perspective, like the fan base here, it's been hit and miss, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's been some criticism, but, uh, there's certainly, uh, reason for optimism with the way the last four weeks have shaken out. We talked to play-by-play -play voice Wes Durham earlier yeah. today, and he said he thought this was going to come down to turnovers and then having to establish the run game for the Falcons. What a hot take from Wes. I know, so, right? Like, <laughs> this is the best. So what he's, who do you he's think? Awesome. Well, listen, he's not wrong, right? Like the reason everybody says it all the time, turnovers, the turnover margin, it's, it's the number one factor uh, in terms of wins and losses, what determines wins and losses. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at what Derek Carr has done in the last four games, taking care of the football, I think it's 10 touchdowns and two picks in the last four, zero fumbles. Fumbles yeah. were the issue yeah. early in the season, yes. right? Like yes. turning the football over, not protecting it in the pocket, those kind of things. He's cleaned that up. He's been better. You look at the other side, you look at the Falcons and, and what they've done at the quarterback position, turnovers last week. Whether it's Heineke or Desmond Ritter, both those guys have have kind of turned the football over. I do think the turnover battle is is number one. Uh, he's not wrong about rushing, right? Stopping the run. It's been an issue for the Saints all year. Atlanta does it, did it really well in the first matchup, 200 plus yards, whatever it's been. Um, you know, and, and it's been an area that they struggle. Uh, but to me, I think these matchups always come down, particularly when you have you know, a lot on the line, it comes down to where's the advantage at the quarterback position, right? And and the continuity says, and, and the track record says, I feel like the Saints have the advantage in in that department. Yeah. Who's who's the best Saint you've played against? You played against? I mean, it's hard I mean, not to say Drew. Like, yeah, so if we take yeah. Drew Brees out, out yeah, of the conversation, but I, didn't, I, was on, I was never on the field yeah. against yeah. Drew. Um, you know, I, I never was out there at the same time. On the defensive side of the ball, um, I mean, it'd be hard to say any other anyone other than Cam uh, in terms of yeah, the, the production that he had against us. So I'll throw those two guys out, right? Like, mm -hmm. let me throw out Drew. Let me throw out the obvious and Cam. Um, I go back to early on, you know, Jonathan Vilma. Wow. He, yeah. He was, they were yeah. good, right? And he was physical. And they had those guys in the back end, uh, you know, like, we, we had some really tough games like physical games when they made their run in 09 yeah. i think it was 09 yeah yeah that was jabari and, and so you talk about roman harper in the yeah, back roman, end yeah. physical player coming yeah. down um you know uh will smith i mean just yeah. i mean r.i.p but he was he was a problem for me early in my career <laughs> right he was yeah. cam before before Cam arrived and, and was a problem for us in Atlanta. So, I mean, there's so many uh, good players that, that we went, went against uh, for such a long time, but it's, it's hard to pick, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of one of them. Yeah. Best, best Falcon teammate. I, I get, you know, 
Man, another Julio, possible question. Julio is Julio has got to be. I mean, how yeah. I was so lucky. Um, yeah. Julio, an incredible teammate. Uh, probably, I, I say this all the time. Probably impacted my career more significantly than any other player that yeah. that I played with. Just his level of production. I played with him for 10, 10 you know, mm -hmm. I think it was yeah. 10 or 11 years. I think 10 years. Uh, so, you know, the the time that I played with him, I loved Roddy White. I mean, Roddy White was, he wasn't afraid of anybody. No. Uh, no, you know, no. He, he would tell you. He would let you know. <laughs> Love that as a teammate, right? I was lucky enough to play with Tony yeah. Gonzalez. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my all-time favorites. But I'll go kind of an off-the-radar guy who's a Louisiana native in Todd McClure. He was my center, yeah, LSU yeah. guy. He was my center for my first five years in Atlanta, and Todd is one of my all-time favorite human beings, and and just you know one of the best teammates you could ever play with. Carr said that centers are kind of cranky. <laughs> yeah, they can be. Uh, <laughs> Todd was not. Todd, in, in all honesty, I think back to like you know those early years in my career. Todd was one of the glue guys in our locker room who kept mm -hmm. it all together. We had kind of some crazy offensive linemen and. Uh, Harvey Dahl and Tyson Claybo were two guys that were kind of like, they, they were off their rocker a little bit. They would do some <laughs> extracurricular, they'd fight you after plays, all those kind of things. And, and they were always kind of on the edge. And Todd was the guy that, that would bring it all back together. Or the guy that like Roddy White, you said he would like to talk, he would get in. Yeah. He was a guy that could bring Roddy back, you know, and, uh, he, he was one of the glue guys. And then I played with another great center and Alex Mack. Uh, who's in Atlanta with us for for five years as well, uh, and he he was probably a little more cranky than Todd. He, he was you know probably more with Derek. Well, Derek was said it was about. more you know I guess it was more training camp related where those guys get you know cranky. They're wearing the game pants and yeah, you know, they don't like wearing the snapping shorts. They want to come out you yeah, know when yeah. you get like the shells practice and they yeah. don't have to wear the pants. They're yeah. all pissed off that they they have to come out in the snapping shorts. And you're like, dude, I'm not, you know, you're sweating like crazy. I don't need you in regular gym shorts. Like, I, I, I need to get the, you know, QB center exchange. That makes a lot of sense. We appreciate the time so much. And just watch your back out there. Now Cam Jordan's around. Well, thank you. Just appreciate it. Great conversation with Matt. Now for a deeper dive into the game itself, here's West Durham. Wes, thank you so much for joining us on the New Orleans Saints podcast. It is a big game this weekend. I mean, I feel like it's exactly like they planned it to have the Saints playing the Falcons, still division mm -hmm. hopes on the line for both teams. What is the feeling around the Falcons heading into this game? Well, I think there's probably very similar to New Orleans, right? I mean, it feels like that a month ago, everybody started kind of drawing the conclusion that, hey, what if it comes down to Atlanta having to beat New Orleans, you know, in the Superdome in the last game of the regular season to to get to the postseason? And not only do both teams need to win the game Sunday in New Orleans, but they've also got to have what, you know, I've jokingly called the miracle on Mint Street this week, which is the Carolina Panthers have to beat Tampa, which, you know, to me seems a, a lot steeper hill to climb than the Saints in the Falcons game. But but nonetheless, I think both teams are probably pretty frustrated uh, with parts of their season. They're probably parts of their team they don't really like and wish they had a chance to go back and re-rack it. I think New Orleans and Atlanta feel a lot like that. But at the same time, the you know, the series is tied, what, 54 wins apiece at the 109th meeting. So, you know, in, in some ways it seems pretty prophetic that it's got to come down to the winner of the game. And, and we'll put the underline here, having a chance to go to the playoffs if – Obviously, if Carolina does pull off the win in Charlotte. 
it's been a battle between these teams every time that they meet earlier this year, Mm -hmm. the Falcons getting that win, the Saints unable to get into the end zone. But how have you seen the Falcons change since that week 12 game? Well, it's interesting because you see where New Orleans has, has been able to roll off some wins and Atlanta's been able to win some games. But the, the head-scratching losses are the ones that probably, you know, have put Atlanta in this position, Aaron, more than anything else. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at New Orleans, who's won three of their last four. Um, you know, they're four and three at home, but they've won their last three or three of the last four there. Atlanta split their last six and lost three of their last four. And the three losses are Tampa when you had, basically your offensive and defensive line inactive for injuries and otherwise. Um, and then you lose in Charlotte and you lose in Chicago last week. And the, the interesting part for me is the loss in Chicago last week is a head scratching loss in the light that, you know, you, you can win that game. And not only did you not win, you didn't play particularly well in any facet of it. And so I think that now escalates the, concern about where the team is on a whole not just this last game and so that that's created the speculation piece behind that and I think that's going to be I think it's going to be really an afterpiece of the ball game on Sunday and how Atlanta plays in that last game could dictate a lot of the things that you know obviously are cataloged for the entire year. Wes, you mentioned the, the parity, I guess, or, or the opportunity for either one of these teams to have a slim chance to get into the playoffs. And I guess, you know, if you if you knew a former, which I'm sure you do, a former NFL commissioner, Pete Rozelle, he's either above looking down or below looking up, one of the two, smiling, <laughs> because this is exactly <laughs> what he wanted. Uh, but, but quarterback play seems to have been one of those things that's been a thorn for the Falcons this entire season. Uh, it's come on lately, mm. for the Saints, but how much has it hindered the, the, the Falcons? Well, J.D., it's easy to say for 14 years we were all spoiled, right? I mean, New Orleans could make the same case with number nine, right? I mean, when Drew was slinging it and Matt Ryan was slinging it, we were living in high times. And at some point, you know, those those careers were going to come to an end one way or the other. And the way they came to an end was going to be how the secession worked. In Atlanta, it came, you know, as the second phase of Arthur Smith's coaching career after year one. And it's been a balky position, to be honest with you, the last two years. And I think New Orleans could probably subscribe to some of that, even with Derek Carr coming in this year. And I think that the quarterback play is is kind of determined the success of the offense. And, you know, to be honest with you, Christmas Eve, I thought Taylor Heineke played really well. Atlanta arguably played their best 60 minutes of football. And then last Sunday, that didn't happen. And it didn't happen in any of the three phases. And so – I think quarterback does stir the drink. And in all honesty, I think it stirs the drink. You look at all the teams that are in contention here. Um, who are we kidding, right? They've all got really decent, above-average quarterback play, some at a very high level. And I think those are the teams that we probably like to, you know, advance deep into the playoffs. So I think the quarterback situation is a concern. I think it's been a concern all year. I think there's been some growth points for Desmond Ritter. Uh, it's been good to have Taylor Heineke, who is a, you know, a backup in this league who has started a number of games. But at the same time, too, there is no clear-cut plan after Sunday if Atlanta does not make the playoffs as to what the Falcons will do either free agency-wise, draft-wise, to create any kind of stability in that position. I, and the, the answers to those questions will have to be fielded by Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith and the people involved who, who want to put that roster together. But I think the jury's going to be out, personally, on that position when we get to the offseason. Now, on the other hand, the Falcons do have a great running hmm. game, 228 yeah. yards since the first time. So, you know, we expect to see a whole bunch of that 
this time around. Um, how much has the increased usage, I guess, lately of Bijan Robinson kind of played into that? Because I know the first in the season he was being used sparingly and uh, mm-hmm. much criticism over that, but it seems like it's come on a little bit lately, especially since that Saints game. Well, and it also feels like, too, that they had a plan from the start, right? You mentioned the usage rate early was slight, kind of picked up mid-year, and then here it's been pretty consistent. And thus he set a scrimmage yards record for rookie last week in Chicago. And I think that's a question, you know, Sunday is going to be a lot about Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier in the run game. Counter to that, though, J.D., opponents have done a really good job taking that run game away because they know, and, and here's a stat going in last Sunday, where Atlanta was only averaging 134 yards passing in road games going into last Sunday in Chicago, and that number did get a lot better. Um, and now, you know, they come to New Orleans knowing that the Saints, while, you know, 22nd in the league, I guess, against the run, New Orleans is more than capable of of curtailing Robinson and Algier and, and making this a throw game. And Atlanta, you know, number two is not back there anymore, right? So that part is has got a completely different variable. But I think it will be interesting to see how Atlanta goes about getting to the run game Sunday in the Superdome for sure. What do you make of the Falcons' defense? Because that was a unit that pretty much won that first game on <laughs> red zone forced turnovers, and, yeah. and they ended up, you know, with a yeah. nice interception return. They, you know, forced a fumble at the at their own five. I mean, that unit pretty much won that first game. Yeah, well, and that speaks to you know, and this is the part that's probably a little difficult for you guys because Ryan Nielsen and Terry Fontenot and all these, you know, Caden Ellis here are all. The, here's all the New Orleans people that are a part of this now, right? And it's been fun this week in Atlanta to talk to guys on radio about, you know, the, the and Aaron knows what I mean by this, the collegiate feel to this rivalry is terrific. I love it. I think that the games are great. They're always entertaining. I mean, I'm talking to you guys. I'm flying to North Carolina, but I might as well be on planes going to New Orleans as many Falcons fans are at this airport right now. And it's crazy, um, you know, because Falcon fans love the game just like Saints fans do. But, the defense, to answer your question, J.D., has got a lot of Ryan Nielsen's tutelage and flavor to it, and it's guys who have bought into his system and his style of play, and I think that's been the success this year. The The remarkable turn of that defense is one that I think Atlanta fans see a lot of confidence in, and they really like what Ryan Nielsen's done, and I think that's a big part of what this team's going to be like going forward, to be honest. You know, we never saw it here, but, but has, has Caden Ellis yet had a bad day? Uh, if he has, it's not been pronounced. Um, you know, he's he's had a year of 120 tackles. Um, you know, he's double-digit tackle for loss. He's had some sacks. He's, you know, forced turnovers. He's done all the things you want. But he's a big part of it, I would say, too, that David Onyemato and help. He's been terrific here. Um, you know, he's almost 50 tackles, four sacks. He's been banged up. But here's the other thing about those two guys with the addition of Jesse Bates, J.D. and Aaron. Those guys are kind of like the hallmarks. And I would throw Calais Campbell in there too, right? Atlanta went and got intentional pieces to add to the defense because of the young guys that I think they knew would be mentored by them, right? I can't tell you the impact. I mean, it's impossible to tell you how important Jesse Bates has been impacting this defense, and especially the back end. Um, I would say the same thing about Kate Nellis because when Troy Anderson got hurt in Detroit, there was – there was a lot of speculation about what, you know, Atlanta would be at that linebacking spot. And Nate Landman has stepped in there, and I think part and parcel because of the leadership of Caden Ellis. And then Campbell and Anya Mata, when Grady Jarrett went down, that was that was a huge concern that day in Nashville. And I would say that Anya Mata and Calais Campbell are guys that have brought on younger players like uh, LaCale London, a Zach Harrison, um, 
you know, other KDs are rushing who plays a linebacker technically, but you know, all those guys have benefited from the veteran presence. And I think that's kind of helped complete what this defensive renovation is going to be. And, you know, you see on Sunday, you're going to start AJ Terrell who has been to a pro bowl, but on the other side, you're going to start a rookie from Utah who was taken in the fourth round in Clark Phillips. And I think that's, that kind of shows you how the maturation of this group has happened over the course of the year. You know, defense has definitely come on for the Falcons. I think for the saints, the offense has come on as the season's gone. They've been playing some of their mm-hmm. best ball the past month. What do you think this game is going to come down to on Sunday? Well, first of all, I think Atlanta has to win turnovers, just like they did in the first meeting. Um, I don't know if you got to have the 92-yard pick six like Jesse Bates, <laughs> but I think you're going to have to win the turnover game. Um, the second thing is, too, Aaron, you can't – and I've said this a couple times during the course of broadcast this fall – I don't think Atlanta can get into a game where they got to throw it a lot and throw it a lot. You know, everybody looks for a number and I can throw 25 or 30 attempts out there, but Atlanta's got to be able to run the football. And one way or the other, Tyler Algier, Bajan Robinson has got to spearhead that. I think that's really important. And you guys have seen the injury reports. So Taylor Heineke's status and how that impacts Desmond Ritter and, you know, Logan Woodside hadn't taken a snap this year. So, you know, I'm not sure where that's going to go. But I think in the bigger picture, um, the way the way the game unfolds is going to be really dictated by how Atlanta has success against what I think will be a pretty geared up New Orleans defense for sure. Mm-hmm. You've seen this matchup several times. How is it <laughs> being in the Superdome as the opposing team? And not even that, like as the Falcons. Um, I think the players embrace this as different than a regular Sunday or Monday, or I guess in some cases, Thursday in the NFL. Um, I think the players really do embrace it. I think they, I think, like I said earlier, I think it takes them back to a rivalry that is very collegiate in the way it feels. I mean, it feels like a college rivalry game. And the ones I've been fortunate to broadcast or the ones I was fortunate to attend early in my life as a fan, that's the way this game feels. Um, You know, I said it on radio in Atlanta earlier this week. you know, Atlanta lost the game that night, the Katrina game. But that game is, you know, that's one of the the greatest events I've ever broadcast. And I, it was because of the motion, the momentum, and all the things that went into it. And I think the, the games that have been in Atlanta on, like, Monday night or Thursday night, the games that have been in New Orleans on Monday night. I remember when um, Sean Payton was going for the record against Mike Smith that night. That building was unbelievable. Same thing for Atlanta. Fans love the game, and it, it translates to the players. I think it translates to the coaches, and it translates to the broadcasters. And I'm excited about Sunday. I think it'll be fun, and I think it'll be really interesting to see. As and we're fortunate in our in, in our line of work on Sunday, I think it'll be interesting to watch the temperament of the game change based on what happens in Charlotte. I think both teams want to win. We know that, but if if that miracle occurs in Charlotte. What does that do to the texture of the ball game that we're watching? I, I think because you know good and well that's going to be part of the that's going to be a piece of this mm-hmm. that we weren't counting on what four to six weeks ago that now becomes a uh, kind of a constitutional piece of of the sixty minutes we're going to watch. Yeah, we've been asking players here if they're going to be scoreboard watching because it's going to be up on the video boards, and they've said, "Well, the fans <laughs> will let you know. They'll let you know how the game is going." Because, yeah, that, as you mentioned, like, it just feels yeah, different. Yeah, but I also think that 
And this is the part where the Falcons announcer also has to say, well, the creativity of the New Orleans Saints uh, entertainment program during the course of a game, albeit the video board or the way, you know, visiting bands line up or whatever the case may be. I'm sure that there'll be some element in the Superdome on Sunday that lets us know how the game is going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be a fun one either way. Obviously, emotions mm. are going to be high, a lot on the line for both sides. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, so am I. So am I. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Appreciate Wes joining us. This one is a 12 o'clock kickoff on CBS. It's going to be intense. Tune in there and don't forget to catch our pre and post game show on NewOrleansSaints.com. I really hope to see the Dome rocking this weekend. Tons of black and gold. Hopefully all the fans come out, enjoy it, and let's go Saints. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast. Join us three times per week on NewOrleansSaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Saints podcast.